0: Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. I was chatting with Lucy, who was meant to be speaking tonight, and we just thought that um, given... Given what's happening in our country at the moment, uh, in, a, in our state, it would actually be really important for us to just stop and kind of acknowledge that and take a moment as a community of people um, to engage with that. Uh, we don't often talk about what's going on in the news and current affairs in church, and there's a very good reason for that. Uh, we, something we really celebrate as a community is that we have such a diverse and wonderful range of different opinions, uh, different kind of worldviews, different political opinions. Uh, And we love, I love that we have a community of people who are able to put aside their differences and um, put the main thing uh, in the main spot, which is Jesus. And that's really cool. Um, But given what's happening in our country at the moment, we felt, we kind of feel that this, this affects everyone. Like whether you're directly affected by it or you're just seeing images in the news and the media, I believe that there is a lot of emotion uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but like you go out in public and you go to the shops and there just seems to be this heaviness uh, that's hanging over our whole nation. And so what we're going to do tonight, I'm going to share a brief reflection. Um, my, my hope with this is, just given the range of emotions that I'm sure are in the room right now, my hope is that we can kind of process this, this, these kind of feelings and process these events together. Um, and also... Um, yeah, that we can, we can kind of process these events together and we can put language uh, to what we're experiencing and ask, how do we bring God into the midst of a crisis? Uh, give me a little bit of grace because I think for me, to, where I stand tonight, I'm still very much figuring this out uh, for myself and figuring out what I feel. Um, for me and my sister, we've actually been reasonably um, personally affected because my folks have a property down in Bundanoon. Uh, and if you've read, the, uh, they're right on the southern end, end of Bundanoon. And if you've uh, read the news or saw what happened last night, late at night, um, Bundanoon got hit really hard. We don't actually know whether my folks' place is still okay. So that's the, that's the place that I come to you from. Um, and I know there's a whole range of stories and ways that people connect uh, to these issues. So give me a little bit of grace as I, as I figure this out and as we work this out together. Um, I think it could be tempting... When you read some of the stuff that people are posting online, I recently joined Twitter again. I'm not sure if that was a good move. Uh, I also recently started posting on Facebook, which is how you know that this this crisis is is really a crisis. Um, But you could be tempted to think that Jesus has no answer to the magnitude of what is going on around us at the moment. Uh, But I want to suggest that the opposite is true. You see, this book, these scriptures, they were written... Uh, by people who went through droughts, who went through famines, wars, displacements, slavery, and persecution. Um, This is the context from which we receive the Scriptures. And so I would suggest that not only does Jesus have something to say, but the the Scriptures come alive in a new way when we read them together in times of crisis. Uh, So what I want to do tonight uh, as we reflect together is I want to read a psalm that was written Uh, in a time of crisis. It's Psalm 77. If you've got a um, a Bible or a phone handy, um, pull it out. I'm going to be reading from the NLT because I just love the way that the New Living Translation uh, renders this. It's written by a guy called Asaph. And the best way to think of Asaph is he was kind of like the worship pastor of the Israelite people. Uh, It's not a perfect analogy, but that's kind of his role. He was the guy that was sort of in charge of, of worship. We don't know exactly what this crisis is about which he speaks in this psalm. Um, But I'm going to go through it in in two halves. I'm going to do verses 1 to 10, uh, and then I'm going to stop and just briefly reflect back on what we've read, and then I'm going to read the second part, uh, because I I want to make sure we capture the language and the magnitude of what um, Asaph is saying in this psalm. So, starting from verse 1, it says, I cry out to God, yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Lord Most High has turned his hand against me. I want to pause there, and I just want to acknowledge what we've just read. You know, this psalm is visceral. Um, the, the, words that, the words that Asaph is saying to God, like, you don't talk to God that way, right? Apparently not. Um, and yet, here we are. In verse 4, you don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed even to pray. Just the anxiety in his words here. Uh, verse 3, I think of God and I moan. Isn't that intense? And yet, as we pick up in verse 11, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You're, you demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep, with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. What a reminder of who God is. That despite the, the real anxiety, despite the heaviness that Asaph is feeling in this time of crisis, he's able to remember, he's able to turn his thoughts um, to the goodness of God, to God's delivering power, to God's power over nature itself. And so I think what a wonderfully relevant psalm to this time in our national history. What I want to do now is I want to briefly share four thoughts that come to me in reflection uh, to this psalm that I hope will help us to process uh, what's going on in our country at the moment a little bit. And my first thought is this, that I believe times of crisis unearth our deepest held beliefs about who God is. How do you think God is feeling at this moment? When God looks upon our nation, what do you think he feels? Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that when God looks at our nation in this time of crisis, that his heart is grieved. You know, the the second part of this psalm, it refers to this incredible event within Israel's history where God takes the, uh, the Israelite nation, he, he, draw, he, draw, um, he takes them out of Egypt and He parts the, the Red Sea and creates dry land for them to walk, to, um, walk through. Uh, and then He calls the waters back to crush their enemies. But as much as this psalm reminds us of God's power, I believe this also reminds us of God's compassion. You see, God didn't just one day decide that he wanted to take the Israelites out of Egypt. He was actually driven by a moment of intense compassion. We can read it here, Exodus 2, 23 to 24. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a verse that is uh, missing there, which should be on the slide. Um, But the way it finishes, I love this. It says, God looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. God looked down on the people of Israel and he knew that it was time to act. What a moment of compassion displayed by our God. How are we supposed to respond to God in this time? You know, I think it is so, so, so important to allow ourselves in the face of a crisis to bring our big questions to God. When we have these big questions, we're not supposed to push them down. We're not supposed to ignore them and and have blind faith. I believe we're actually meant to take these questions to God in exactly the same way that Asaph does in the first half of this psalm. But I think it's also important that as much as we bring our cries and our complaints to God, that like Asaph, we give him the dignity of a response. When we bring our prayers and our petitions to God, we need to be willing to listen to his answer. Do you believe that God is willing to intervene in this situation we find ourselves in? Now, I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I can't tell you why he do- hasn't done it already. Um, there have been some incredible stories of um, of, God, of people coming together, of um, God doing miraculous things and, and saving people and properties, and, um, and there have been some wonderful stories uh, out of these fires. But there's also been some heartbreaking ones too. And so, I can't tell you why God hasn't already intervene, but what I can tell you is that I choose to believe that He is good and that He listens to our prayers. I still believe that God is in control, and I believe that when we pray to Him, when we bring our grievance to Him, that He listens and He cares. I believe that every one of us, we all have a picture of who God is, and that picture can get really tested in these times of crisis. And so my question to you is, Will you, what will you do when that picture is challenged? Will you withdraw from God? Will you run away or will you press in deeper? Because it's, it's not going to stay the same. Secondly, I want to point out that I believe strong emotions are absolutely normal in a time of crisis. And if you, if you look through those first 10 verses of Psalm 77, you will see that um, Asaph is effectively going through a number of the different stages of grief. Um, he, in, he's experiencing anxiety, anger, and despair all in the same 10 verses. Um, so if you find yourself uh, in a situation, if you find yourself in response uh, to this bushfire crisis, feeling overwhelming anxiety uh, that's crippling your ability to function, to sleep, or even if it's not that serious. I think it can, it can almost feel wrong to feel afraid in these kind of situations um, because we, we look out and we see that there are people who have it much worse. But I want to suggest that um, it's legitimate to feel scared. It's legitimate to feel scared. Um, and, and, and this psalm proves that. But I also want to say that if, if anxiety is something that you're really struggling with this in, time, in this time, then don't do it alone. Um, we, we have a beautiful community of people here who are willing to walk this journey together and there are people that you can go to who can really help uh, work through that in a professional sense. Another emotion I believe is, is very, uh, very much legitimate in this kind of time is the, uh, is the emotion of anger. Um, it's legitimate to feel this way. When you look at injustice, in some ways, I think we should feel angry. Um, but there's this, there's this verse in Ephesians 4.26. Normally, we hear it translated as, in your anger, do not sin. But if you read it in a literal translation, or if you read it in the original language, it literally says, be angry, do not sin. And so I think there's, I think there's times we're supposed to look on injustice and feel angry but we're not supposed to let that be a sinful, let our anger lead us to sin. So how do we do that? Um, Well, as opposed to being a bad thing, I actually believe that anger can be our ally in these kind of situations. And it all comes down to how we choose to channel our anger. Do we turn it into an attack response? Do we look for someone to blame? Or do we allow ourselves to channel the anger that we feel into service, into loving action that will help make a difference. Finally, I believe that um, some of us in this room might be feeling an overwhelming sense of despair. That I, I would say to you that we believe that God brings hope into every situation, that the gospel message is a message of hope and that God is a God of hope. And the way that the psalmist uh, here, the way that asap finds his help is that he remembers um, the deeds of old. He remembers the kind of God that he's crying out to and the power that he has over creation itself and over every situation that he finds himself in. Strong emotions are normal in a time of crisis. It's normal to feel um, emotional, but I want to encourage you, whatever, whatever you're feeling at this time, don't bottle it up. Don't hold it to yourself. Um, bring it out, chat to people about it, let people know how you're feeling, and let's do this journey together. There we go, we got two for the price of one. Uh, Number three, this might sound like a weird thing to say when we're talking about a psalm that was written thousands of years ago, um, but in the social media age, everyone gets a voice, so use it wisely. And the reason I say that is, isn't it interesting that Asaf has chosen to look back on this time in his life and to write a song about it? And I think the reason that he's done that is to help other people identify with the struggle, to, to, to bring beauty out of the struggle that he's experienced. Now, as I say this, as I, as I tell you to use your social media voice wisely should you choose to engage with social media... Um, I definitely don't want to tell you what to post or what not to post. Like I said, I I love that we have such a diversity of beliefs in this community. Um, But I do want to give you a few quick tips, just three quick tips um, for how how I would suggest that you begin to do social media well. The first one is that I would encourage you to be quick to listen and slow to post. You know, I think that we would... I think social media would be a much much nicer place if we actually chose uh, to listen to each other and to see where we're all coming from. Secondly, research facts and don't spread misinformation. If something sounds very sensational, then there's a good chance it is, and it's been really heartbreaking to see some really, really over-sensationalized, I'm not sure if that's a word, but it is now, uh, some over-sensationalized and some just plain wrong facts coming out on social media and people getting upset about them. So research your facts carefully and don't spread misinformation. And finally, ask yourself, how am I representing Christ in this post? How am I representing my fellow Christians in this post? And what am I hoping that this will do? What am I hoping is the fruit of what I'm about to post online? I don't feel like I need to say anything else about that. Um, But finally... You know, I don't believe, and I don't know about you, but I don't believe that fire is God's vision for his creation. Now, that might not make total sense out of context, um, but I think it's funny that only two weeks ago, Andrew Harvey spoke um, really well uh, on the topic of eschatology and talking about, which is basically a fancy nerdy word that means what happens at the end of all things. Um, How is this all going to end? Uh, and I think I know. There's some people who believe that God's plan ultimately is to send fire to wipe out all creation and to take us somewhere else, where we'll be with Him forever. But that's not the view that I get when I read through the scriptures. You see, I believe that God's um, God's view for eternity is not to take us somewhere else. I believe that God's view for eternity is to come back here. I believe that God God's plan from the beginning of all creation, when He made all things, that He had a vision. For humanity and their God living in harmony once again. To see not just all humanity restored um, to our, our purpose, but all of creation restored to its purpose. Um, when God created humanity in the garden, um, he made us in the image of God. And if you want, if you want this bit in more detail, I really suggest you listen to Andrew's. Talk from a couple of weeks back. But um, when God made us in the garden, he made us an, in his image and he gave us a, a position of stewardship over the earth. God commissioned us as his representatives to all of creation to look after it and to make it fruitful. Now, needless to say, that plan didn't go very well. Um, not God's fault, it was ours. But when Christ came back, um, when he died on the cross, when he rose again and when he sent his spirit One of the things that he did is he restored that purpose of stewardship and he gave us the ability to begin through the Holy Spirit's power to do that again. And as much as as Christians, we have this role to go and love all of humanity and bring all humanity into relationship with God once again. As much as that's our role, we also have a role and responsibility to look after all creation. And if you don't believe me, then I want to show you a passage you might have come across before, um, which in this context might come out in a totally different light. Romans 8, uh, 8, 18 to 21 says this, and I'm going to read it slowly just so this sinks in. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I'm going to read that last part again because that's so important. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, God's picture for this creation that is burning right now is restoration. That's what God's doing. That's the plan. And we're not suppo- as Christians. We are not supposed to wait for God to come back to do that. Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this now and not yet reality that we live in, our, our mandate, our purpose is to begin bringing this reality into the present. You know, I love this, this now and not yet theology that we have in the vineyard. Um, sometimes we see um, God's kingdom come in all its glory. We see people healed. We see creation restored. And sometimes we don't. You know, I have come to believe that this now and not yet um, story actually has a trajectory that we're not just going to hold the tension until the end. I believe we're actually supposed to bring more and more and more of God's kingdom wherever we, we, we go. So what do we do? What do we do? You know, I think it can be incredibly difficult uh, when you see the kind of images that are, that are being posted on, on the news and on social media at the moment to know how to actually help And I think when we see those, every one of us, that that image-bearing capacity, that stewardship gift um, that we were given at the beginning, I think when we see our creation burning, every one of us feels a burden of responsibility to do something. And I believe that that's the Holy Spirit just giving us a little nudge saying, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. So what do we do? Well, something I think is really important to recognize is that our response during this time of crisis will be different to our response in its aftermath. Uh, what does that mean? That basically means that I, I think when we look at the need that we have right now as our nation is burning and as people are under immediate threat, the, need, the thing that we can do that is most helpful is going to be a little bit different to what we do when our nation begins the cleanup process. And so I want to get really practical. Um, Jen and I have spent a whole lot of time researching and um, chatting with people in the community and chatting with Phil and Kath about how we want to respond as a community. Um, So we're going to get super practical now. If you feel led to do something right now, um, then I I I would personally recommend you do two things. And the first one is to give financially. Um, I've done a lot of research into different initiatives that people have started to, um, to give goods and to give food and to support fireys and uh, to, su- to support people who've lost homes. And I think that's really beautiful. But I just encourage you to carefully research um, what the need is and where those things are going. I know that some of these organizations have said that in the crisis time, the best thing you can do uh, is, is donate financially. Because if you donate a tin of beans, that's awesome, and that might really bless someone. Um, but if you give the money you would have spent on the tin of beans, then you empower these organizations um, to do what they want to do uh, with that money. So at the moment, the organizations that Jen and I have personally chosen to support, that we would recommend you support too, would be the RFS. Um, so if you feel really led to support the people on the front line, then uh, give generously to the RFS and there are a number of ways you can do that through their website or um, a number of fundraisers on Facebook. And One of the things that's really I really struggle with um, is the ecological impact and seeing what's happened to some of the animals and wildlife um, around the bush. And so Jen and I have chosen to give part of our um, our offering in this time to Wires. Um, and if you feel really stirred about the, um, the ongoing impact of this and how as a nation... Um, how we're going to rebuild communities and rebuild people's lives, then the Red Cross Crosses, um, we believe, is an organization that's really well-equipped to do that. They've got trained volunteers that have the resources and the strategies to do that really well. So the first thing we want to do, recommend that you do is give financially. The second thing is that we want to encourage you to pray like you mean it. If there is no other time in your life to be on your knees, it is now. Um, I, love, I love what... Um, Asaph says in this psalm, uh, all night long I pray with my hands lifted towards heaven. Would we pray with that kind of commitment? And we're going to have a solid chunk of time in just a moment to do that, which is going to be really good. Now, I know that I've recommended these these two things. Um, There are definitely some other amazing initiatives that are out there and people who are doing really wonderful things. I'm not saying that they're not good. I'm just saying, carefully research uh, where your donations are going to go and, and whether they really are going to be helpful. Um, and, and, and and keep your eye out. And if you f- do find something that's really good, then um, let us know or get on board with that yourself as well. We'd love every, every single one of us to be engaged with this. But the last thing I want to say is uh, keep engaged. Because I don't know about you, but Given that my folks have a place down in Bundanoon, there's a lot of people um, that they know. A lot of their friends have been um, directly impacted by these fires, and so there might be people in your world who've been impacted directly. So look for opportunities to spread the love and goodness and peace of Christ, um, both both spiritually and practically, uh, as you go, um, as you respond to the, to what's happening. The last thing I want to say is what we as an evening community are going to be doing specifically. So we've got a few things. Um, The first thing that I would encourage uh, that we are going to do is that we are going to continue to pray faithfully until this crisis is over. Now, exactly how we're going to coordinate our prayer efforts as an evening community, Jen and I are still working on that, and we hope to send out uh, something this week where um, thinking of maybe doing like a, you know, the, like set an alarm on your phone and pray at a specific time every day. Something, we'll, we'll do something like that. But we want to commit to pray until the crisis is over, until God intervenes and puts out all of the fires. Uh, the second thing uh, is that the board has approved $3,000 of budget um, from our budget to allocate towards um, a response and we haven't chosen how we're going to use that yet, but we would love your input, and we want to hold on to that and really seek God for how he wants us to release those funds uh, into the community and to the people around us uh, to have the maximum impact. And uh, we, just, we really f- uh, feel led um, to hold on to that um, and, and, and lend that to the rebuilding effort. So watch this space. Uh, and finally, we really do want to encourage you to continue to give, not just while this is in the news cycle, um, but as, as need arises, as, as you feel led to continue to give in to the efforts of the people who are doing it tough,